Welcome to On Your Terms with Aaron King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Aaron. Hey there, friends. Aaron King here, and welcome to On Your Terms. Today's guest is honestly one of my favorite humans. I met her about two years ago, and I was so inspired, you guys, by her incredible story. Her authenticity is off the charts. Her vibe is so energizing. She is brilliant. She's stunning. She's a Southern gal with great storytelling power. And if you follow her on Instagram, you cannot help but smile because her content is fully laced and loaded with dance routines and awesome, awesome content that will just make you smile and feel so fired up. She is a best-selling author, a TED speaker, She's the podcast host of True Grit and Grace, which has had some dynamo personalities on it. She is the, a peak performance coach and the founder of the Unstoppable Life Mastermind. Y'all, big welcome to our friend right from Texas, Amberly Lago. Welcome to the show, Amberly. Oh my goodness. Aaron, you're amazing. Thank you. I love you. And that was the best introduction ever. I just want to <laughs> hang out with you all day. <laughs> Let's do it. We've been talking for about an hour before we even hit record. So I just, <laughs> we do this every time. But success friends, this is Amberly, And I am just telling you right now, I mean, whatever you are doing, stop and pay attention because every time I leave this woman, her vibrancy just gets me on another page of inspo and motivation for hours and hours after. So guys, this is Amberly. Last time we met, Amberly, it was about two years ago, and it was during the pandemic. Um, you were still a California girl with me out here on the West Coast, and you were moving back to Texas. Is that right? I'm in Texas now. I'm coming to you from Dallas. It's so crazy to be here after being in California for 31 years. And let me tell you, I had those uh, California plates on my car switched to Texas real quick because I did not want to get a bumper sticker slapped on my car. <laughs> this is <don't laughs> California or Texas. So when I was like, well, I'm, I guess it's good. I never lost my accent. So I kind of fit right in. But there's, yeah, it's a, it's a culture shock. It's different. It's a slower pace. Um, so, but it's great. It's like so safe. We live in a neighborhood where my daughter has the freedom to like, ride on her scooter outside. We go frog. She collects frogs. I know this sounds crazy, but we go out, collect frogs. Um, so we've got uh, frogs in the backyard. It's just a different world. And it's nice to just have the freedom to, to let her run around and feel safe. And so That's it's fantastic. Good. I love that for you guys. Congratulations. So tell us more about the shift. So what prompted a move after 30 something years as a California girl to head back to Texas. That's a big shift and a big it move. Was. What prompted it for you? Um, well, you know, and I feel like, yeah, I moved to California when I was 18 to pursue my dreams. And my husband is retired. He's California Lieutenant, California Highway Patrol Lieutenant Commander. And he retired and he kept saying, let's move, let's move. And Last year, my daughter and I were riding on our scooters and we got, when I say safe, it's because we were riding on our scooters and we got hit by a car. We were only on the hospital for a day. Um, a few months later, we were riding our bikes and 
my daughter saw me get jumped by a homeless person, like right in front of her. And I was just like, Ruby, keep going. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this homeless person was ready for me to like stand up to them. And I guess the look of like, bring it on. was <laughs> like, they looked at me because I got up off my bike. I'm like, yeah, really? You want to fight? Let's go. And I just had it. I was, and so they ran off and, um, it just didn't feel safe. And all of my, and we live in a pretty safe area, but all of my work is virtual and traveling. And my whole family is out here in Texas. And I thought, you know what? My husband gets saying, let's move, let's move. And I said, okay, let's do it. And he said, okay. I said, you do all the planning. Cause I was in the middle of still working and traveling and Aaron we got here. It's a beautiful house. It's nice. There's no fiber optic internet. I was freaking out. And he was like, oh my goodness, we have gone through a lot of tough times. I've never seen you like this. He's like, we moved here for the school district. And I was like, honey, let me tell you, internet trumps school district. Because if I can't have internet, I can't, we can't do, I can't work. I can't, I can't pay for the house. Also, oh that was like definitely something to get used to. Um, everybody's very nice, but I miss my, the hiking in California. Nature is so healing. I miss the hiking. I miss the beaches. I miss my, my friends. And so I've been back already a few times. In fact, I'll be back there next week. I'll be in California again. So it's weird. I feel, I feel like when I was in California, I was kind of a Texan living in California. And now that I'm in Texas, I feel like a Californian mm. living in Texas. So I don't know, but I feel like home is where your heart is and where you can connect with your tribe and your friends and your family. And thank goodness I can connect with friends like you and still travel. I'm so glad to be back traveling and doing yeah. in-person events. Same here. That is so true. I had three events in three days this past weekend. You're kidding. No, it was great. I came home, but I was so pooped and I caught myself complaining for a second. I was like, I feel tired. And my husband looked at me and he goes, you better check yourself. You would have killed for this 18 months ago. And I was like, thank you, sir. Great point. You know, don't forget 18 months ago, two years ago, we would have killed to be on the road for three live events, hugging people, doing the book signing, no masks. I mean, it's just so much to be grateful for. Um, Yeah. And I think it's interesting, you know, on the other side of of this, the last 200 million years, this pandemic, and whether you've gone through a pandemic or you've gone through a move, we've all really had to sort of grab this new gear when it comes to reinvention and who we want to be on the other side of this thing. And I think what's so exciting about having you here on the show today is not only are are you an expert and and a coach in the field of, you know, resilience and transformation. You know, your book is called True Grit and Grace, which I love, by the way, the juxtaposition of those two words, grit and grace together, sort of the both sides of the coin. Because you think grit is like that masculine energy. You think grace is the feminine energy. And both those together, I think, is such a great way to describe not only how we tackle these challenges as humans, but also how your personal brand to me, comes across that way on Instagram. Oh, it is definitely written great. You. Yeah, but but I, I think what's what's so interesting is people are thinking, oh wow, gosh, she moved after thirty something years. What they don't know is that that is was probably a layup 
that transition for you in compared to some of the the challenges that you've overcome in your life. And and for those of the our listeners that don't know you from your amazing keynotes, your awesome book, your podcasts, mm-hmm. Instagram, you know, you have quite a story. And, you know, 30 years on the West Coast going to Texas is one thing, but 34 surgeries on your body to save your life is quite something else. And I know you've told this story countless times, but would you mind um, kind of going back there and and sharing with our success fam kind of what, what you went through recently and, and, and that story? Because it's, it's, it's so incredible. So if you don't mind sharing it, I really would appreciate just kind of hearing it from you one more time. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and it's really my intention and my hope that, and the reason I share it is so that anybody, you know, you're listening and you might be struggling, um, whether it's you know, physically with pain or, or emotionally or mentally, or like me, and you couldn't get your Wi-Fi to work. It's like, we all have struggles. We all have some sort of pain. Things don't always go as planned. And, you know, we were talking before we started recording and you're like, gosh, I saw that on your Instagram that you said you were 50. And there's this whole thing when you turn 40 or when you turn 50. And I was like, yeah, I said, you know, when I turned 40, I was in the middle of surgery after surgery after surgery. And I didn't even think about turning 40. I was just grateful to be alive. And Mm -hmm. I was in a different place than I am now in a sort because I was in full on survival mode. I was, you know, I, I had this big successful career in the fitness industry. I was sponsored by Nike, you know, moving to California as a professional dancer um, and doing that and teaching dance and in the fitness industry, doing infomercials and modeling and shape and health magazine. That was my whole life. And I really put this label on myself as I was a fitness trainer. I was a Mm -hmm. fitness model. I was known, my nickname at the gym was Legs because I had a lot of respect for lifting with the pro bodybuilders, the guys. I would keep up with the guys and I, I prided myself in being able to leg press as much weight as them. And everything changed in the blink of an eye when, you know, I was on my way home from work and was hit by an SUV while riding my motorcycle and T-boned. And I wish I could tell you, I don't remember it. I blacked out or I was knocked out, but I remember every detail from the moment I looked and saw, I thought the guy made eye contact with me in the car from the minute that I thought, oh my God, this is happening. The feeling that it felt like when I got hit, when I got thrown, I was thrown about 30 feet and then I'm sliding across the asphalt. And all I could think about was, please don't let another car hit me. And I remember coming to a stop and looking down at my leg. And I only looked down once at my leg because there it's crazy when you look down and you see your body completely distorted, deformed. Mm. My it was crumbled into pieces. My my foot was dangling off and I feel like it was held together with my leggings and there was blood everywhere. Now, at the time, I had no idea that my femoral artery was actually severed. Thank God I had this guardian angel, really, that came over, a guy that came over and immediately ripped his belt off, put a tourniquet on my leg. He saved my life. Um, wow. And I believe... 
everything happens for us for a reason. Everything is exactly as it should. I, I know that sounds crazy to be saying, oh, you believe that you got hit by a SUV for a reason. Aaron, paramedics were right down the street. They were already running to me before they were even called. The paramedics were running to the scene of the accident. I was rushed to the hospital so quick. There happened to be a nurse that drove by, stopped, got out of her car, held my hands, and was telling me to breathe with her because I was shouting out some cuss words. I was shouting out, call 911. I was shouting out, call my husband. I was afraid to reach for my phone. Well, I, I didn't want to let go of my leg. I actually thought it would fall off of my body. Mm. Rushed to the, the ER. Um, the ER was crazy. It was packed with cops. News travels fast when you're married to a cop. And, and you know, it was filled with cops, chaos. My husband was wailing, crying. Now, my husband is a big, strong dude. I had mm. never seen him cry. And he was hysterical. I didn't see what he saw. By this time, they had cut my leggings open. And the doctor was actually reaching in, trying to grab my femoral artery, and it would pop back into my leg. And I was strapped to the gurney, and I yelled across the room, honey, get over here. I need you to be strong for me. Because I thought, this is it. I'm dying. I need to know he's going to be able to take care of our two kids. That's the last thing I remember before they put me in induced coma. And when um, I woke up out of a coma is when I learned they said, I'm sorry, there's just nothing we can do for you. We've got to amputate your leg. You only have a 1% chance of saving it. And I was like, a 1% chance? Well, then there's still a chance. We got to find a doctor that's going to be willing to take that chance with me. And it's kind of like, well, there's a, so you're saying there's a chance? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of like that movie Dumb and Dumber. Okay, yeah. well, then there's a chance. And let me tell you, it took months in the hospital, a lot of prayers, uh, tons of, you know, <sighs> grit. And by the grace of God, I had an amazing doctor too, Dr. Don Wiss, and a team of doctors. And they would come in the room and they would huddle. And it reminded me of like before a football game when everybody huddles. And I'll never forget the first time the team came in and I hadn't seen what, what really what my leg looked like yet or anything. And they were looking and they wouldn't turn the screen towards me. And they said, well, um, we're going to take you in for surgery now, another surgery. And, uh, we're going to try to put you back all together again. And, uh, and I said, well, can I see? And they said, well, do you have a strong stomach? I said, yeah, I want to see what's going on. And he flipped over the screen and I saw my x-ray for the first time. And it was just, it wasn't a break. It was crumbled into pieces. It was like as if you got a saltine cracker and just crumbled it. And I was like, okay, God. let's go. Let's do this. And it would be a surgery, then a day of recovery and a surgery and a day of recovery. And when I say, you know, when I was like, when I turned 40, I, I don't hardly even remember that birthday. I was just in and out of the hospital so much. I would, I would prepare as if I was going to war. So mm. everything I could do mentally, spiritually, physically, everything I ate, everything that I consumed 
had to be for the best so I could be the best and get through that surgery because the risk of infection was so high and I was fighting so hard to keep my leg. Now, when I was being released from the hospital, I was so excited. I couldn't wait to get back home. And the doctor, one of the doctors, he was actually the pulmonary doctor. I was like, I'm so excited. Can't wait to get back home. I can't wait to run again. I can't wait to train my clients. He's like, oh, you'll probably never run again. And in fact, you'll probably never wear shorts again with all those scars. And I felt like I had been kicked in the gut. But that was and still one of my most motivating moments because it took me two years, but I actually ran again. And despite having so many scars, I did a lot of deep healing, a lot of work, a lot of crying, a lot of accepting. And I had people help me along the way um, and got comfortable in my own skin. And I wear shorts. I wear a bikini on the beach. Yeah, you <laughs> so, do. And you look amazing. <laughs> it's funny because you know what? I was, I was with a client this morning and she had just had a surgery on her forehead and she had a little scar. And I told her, I said, I said, well, you know what? You won't even see that. I said, give it time. You won't even see that. I said, yeah. And you know, it's, it's weird. I said, I said, I don't, my scars have gotten so much better. I mean, I'm scarred and deformed from the hip down. I said, I don't know if they've gotten that much better or I have learned to love my scars and view them in a different way to, I don't, where I don't look at them as scars. Cause I used to look the, at them as broken, deformed, ugly, disgusting. I hated myself. I carried around so much shame. I focused on the wrong things. And, you know, when I was diagnosed with this incurable nerve disease, dubbed the, the suicide disease as a result of this accident, is that's when the struggle got real. That's when the recovery journey got real because I learned I would have this pain for the rest of my life. And I thought, wait a minute, it's not bad enough I got hit by an SUV, but now you're telling me the pain's never going to go away. But I have to say, Aaron, pain has been my greatest teacher. It has helped me um, learn patience and to, to love myself through it, to have more empathy, to have compassion. Um, it is, it is really is what the grit is all about behind the true grit and grace. And it's, it's taught me to give myself some grace because I was always so hard on myself as an athlete and, and growing up in Texas, you know, like my advice was suck it up, buttercup, like cowgirl up and get her done. Like, don't complain, keep going, keep going. And through this, I had to learn to listen to my body, to love myself through things instead of punishing myself and just trying to stuff down all the pain. And I think that going through what all of us have been through in the past couple of years, now I pray that no one ever experiences waking up out of a coma. I pray that no one ever experiences getting hit by an SUV. But we all feel, I think in some ways we've got hit by something, whether it's our finances. I mean, I had $2.9 million worth of medical expenses. We had a lien on our house. 
I know a lot of people have lost their jobs and a lot of people trying to reinvent themselves, trying to figure out what they're going to do. And I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can't, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter, you know, how smart or dumb or whatever you tell yourself or whatever label that society or you have put on yourself, Mm -hmm. you can play by your own rules. You, it doesn't matter what other people have told you you should do. I think one of the things that has helped me through is I think it's so important to create a vision for yourself. Like, what do you want to do? What are, get, I think, Where the magic happens is when we work on our inner world and we get to know what our desires are, what our needs are, what our wants are. And, you know, a long time ago, I'll never forget being so proud to finally be upright on crutches. And I went in, I was so proud. I went into this doctor and I was thinking, he's going to be so proud. They said it'd take me two years and look at me, I'm standing upright. It hurts like hell, but I'm standing upright. And he looked at me and he ran out of the room. And I looked at my husband and I said, that was not the reaction I was hoping for. What the heck is going on? And he comes back in and he said, you've got something really serious. And I said, duh, dude, I got hit by an SUV. Yeah, I know it's kind of serious, but look, I'm on crutches. He said, no, you've got this nerve disease. And he told me, you're going to be forever wheelchair bound. You'll never work mm. again. You'll never walk again. You're going to have to wear orthopedic shoes. And I pretty much stopped listening when he said never, like never work again. And I cried all the way home. But then I got home, changed my clothes, went straight to physical therapy. And the physical therapist was like, Amberly, what are you doing here? You don't have an appointment today. And I said, I know I don't, but I just learned something. And I'm going to have to work harder than I've ever worked before if I want to have the life that I have always imagined. And I think that's what it takes. You know what? I, I, my, my grandfather used to say, Amberly, you got a shovel in your hand. You can lean on it and pray for a hole or you can start digging. You better start digging. And so I was like, okay, well, nobody's going to walk for me. I got to, I got to get to it. I, I you know that. what? And, and it took me, I, I, I just, can I share one more thing real quick? Take your, yes. okay. I, I am hanging well, out just, to every word. Absolutely. This is, I, I've heard this story before, but I feel like I'm reliving it all over again with you. And I want you to share your thing first, and then I have so many questions I want to dive into. Well, I know this is a long, a long answer, a long, wrong response, but take your time. The thing is, you know, challenges keep coming up. Uh, Doubters and naysayers will always come, and and a lot of times, guess what? They're they're from the people, you know, negative comments and stuff, or from people who love you the most, people that are closest to you, you know, and it's not because they don't love you or they. They don't necessarily, they don't believe in you. A lot of times it comes from their fear or them wanting to protect you. And this just popped up because, you know, I just was asked to play in this celebrity softball tournament here in Dallas. And I, I, when they asked me, I was like, heck yeah, I'll be there. I want to support our veterans. I'll do it. Then I tell my husband, guess what? I'm playing in this celebrity softball tournament. He goes, are you, are you crazy? You don't know how to play softball. And I was like, oh. Yeah, that's right. Well, I can learn. I've got two months. I can do this. He goes, well, 
well, what are you going to, what are you going to wear? You can't wear tennis shoes because of the CRPS. Well, what are you going to wear? I said, well, I'll wear my boots. He goes, you can't wear boots on the, the baseball, like in the field, in the arena. Like you can't wear boots. And I said, well, why not? He goes, well, what do you work out? And I said, honey, I work out in my boots. And the thing is, like I set your own rules just because everybody else wears tennis shoes. They can wear that. Guess what? I, I tried to wear tennis shoes. I bought some orthopedic ones. I wore them for a little while. They started flaring me up. I walked all the way back to the locker room. I got my boots and I played in my boots. And so I always say, start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. And there will be people along the way that will tell you that you can't do something or that you're crazy for thinking those things or who do you think you are? I tell myself, I got that inner critic that pops up and I'll be like, Amberly, who do you think you are? But then when I start asking the right questions, it always leads me in the right direction and I can overcome anyhow. Because I used to get caught up in thinking, well, oh, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? How am I going to get through this pain? Why, you know, what what am I going to do? And and when I started asking, why am I doing this? Why do I need to get through this in everything I do? You know, I remember being stuck in the hospital bed and I had a hospital bed in our downstairs living room because I couldn't go up and down the stairs. And I was throwing up, which wasn't easy using a little porta potty that was next to me, or one of those little, yeah, it was a porta potty. I had to use a bedpan and throwing up because the pain was so bad. And I was in, in my head going, what am I going to do? How am I going to get through this? And I heard my daughter was two years old at the time. And I heard her say from upstairs, oh, she said, mama. And I thought, that's why. I'm going to get through this and I'm going to get up today. I'm going to get out of this bed. I'm going to learn to walk again. I'm going to be able to chase after her. I'm going to be able to do all the things that I want to do because I am going to with grit. There's no quit and grit. I am going to, I'm going to work hard every day to take one step and then another step and another step. And so I think when you think about your why, it really activates the human spirit it makes you focused on more than just yourself, but on other people, on something bigger than yourself. And I needed to focus on something more than me, bigger than me to get through. And I still need to focus. I don't know about you, Aaron, but I still get so, I get nervous before I go do a keynote. I get mm -hmm. like in my head, then I think, well, Amberly, you're getting nervous because you're thinking about you. You're thinking about how are people going to, are people going to like me? Are they going to be judging me? Of course, they're going to be judging me, but that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I didn't start speaking. Um, I, honestly, I didn't start speaking to get on big stages or, or to make a lot of money. I really didn't. I started speaking because I wanted to help people. I love people and wanted to help people. So when I think about why, it puts me in check and it gets me through the how. Mm. Whew. That was a long answer, Aaron. I'm I, I have I have four pages of notes. I just I'm looking at all these circles and stars and question marks. And well, first of all, thank you so much for reliving that journey. You're such a great storyteller, like a true Texas girl. I mean, you really are. I, I felt like I was there with you, beside you. And 
I know it's probably a certain aspect of reliving it every time for you that's very emotional to re-experience it. I know I felt like I had chills. I had tears in my eyes. I felt anxious. Like, so I was right there with you. So thank you for revisiting that with us. Um, and I'm sure it brought up a lot of things for people that are listening who maybe, like you said earlier, maybe they didn't get hit by, you know, a truck. But we've all, like you said, we've all been hit by something the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we talked a little bit about our dads earlier before we hit record. And, you know, within six weeks for me during the pandemic, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. My mom got diagnosed with melanoma. My mm-hmm. husband lost like two thirds. He lost a ton of money in the stock market. He did a, mm-hmm. a bad investment. My uh, puppy, as you know, Stevie Nick, my little eight month old puppy was hit by a car. And my best friend moved from California to Texas. <laughs> Texas calling you. It's happening. So, but so all of these things happened in like six weeks. And it was right in the middle of the pandemic. When, you know, so my point is, those are my stories. These are my scars. You have your scars. People that are listening right now have their version of this, right? Mm-hmm. And what was landing for me big time when I was listening to your incredible story is the word that kept popping up for me was identity. You know, with your identity having been so physical, you know, you were mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, model and this, you know, dance teacher and this athlete and sponsored by Nike. I mean, your, your physicality was who you were. And I think, you know, for me during the pandemic, before all those things happened in that six week, terrible chunk of time, I was always this eternal optimist. I was always glass half full. I was always living my best life. And I know that those things happened to me for me to be able to be in a deep, deep, dark hole to be able to be at a, you know, at a two on a scale from one to 10. Well, fast forward to today, thank God, after you know, therapy and church and doing the work, I'm not like an eight or a nine. And I know now the reason I went through my version of your accident was to allow me to be able to better do the work that you and I do, to better be able to identify and to serve and to, and to offer real tangible advice of how I dug out. Mm-hmm. And so when I was listening to your story, Words like never and 1% chance and probably not going to from these pros, from these experts. You know, how many times have you been told by the pros or the experts that this will never happen or likely won't? Or, you know, for you to say, you know, you were joking around about it, but for them to say, like, you have a 1% chance, you said your gut reaction was, well, that's a chance. Mm -hmm. And that's where I wanted to pause you because. That is that is a really extraordinary response to someone saying, like, for them to say 1% chance and for you to say, I see a chance, that's all I'm going to focus on. What do you think it is, like, how can we be better at that response versus the response that I had when I had my version of an accident where all I saw was the 99% of darkness? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. I did not focus on Yes, but I still had this and I still had that. I just, I think that mm. focusing on the possibility of that small chance of healing, hope, light, future possibilities, it sounds so like glamorous and coffee cup and Pinterest and go girl. But when it comes down to it, if someone's at that, that valley right now and they're far from that peak, like 
how did you how did you immediately respond like that? Do you think it was the combination of like your grandfather in Texas and suck it up buttercup like that programming? Um, do you think it was sort of that 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 mindset of your why, like you said, that that, that hyper emotional why of your daughter? Like, tell us more about how we can be better at mimicking a, a powerful response like that when life is saying you got a 1% chance? Well, I think that being an athlete my whole life helped uh, that mindset, being a, a a dancer my whole life and and being the underdog. Man, I was not the best dancer. Um, I was, you know, made fun of in school because I was not the prettiest. I had buck teeth. I was skinny. People used to call me Annie Anorexic and Bulimic Girl, like all kinds of horrible names and tell me I would never make it. And I used those moments to go. I think that grit is, is you can train your mind to think a certain way. It takes practice and it takes doing it every single day. And it, it takes catching yourself. But I think really the formula for grit is it really is inspired by vision and purpose, and it's fueled with belief and optimism and powered by faith and hope and, and driven by love and sustained with stubbornness and a little bit of fear of failure and a little bit of needing to prove yourself. And for me, I was like, oh, yeah, I've always been called stubborn. And there are times when that stubbornness pays off. And I think that my whole life, you know, being told I'd never make it as a dancer. And I was like, but that's my vision. That's what I'm focusing on. And yeah, the chances may be slim. And I got to LA and let me tell you, I was not a good, I was not the best dancer. I was a good dancer for this small town in Texas, but I got to LA and I knew that I was going to have to work harder than everybody at the dance studio and show up early and leave late and show my face and let people know I'm here. I'm willing to work. I'm willing to mop the floors. I'm willing to clean the mirrors after every class. I'm willing to work the front desk if you'll just give me a chance. And so, I think that grit is, you know, I didn't know until after I wrote my book, True Grit and Grace, somebody reached out and said, have you read that book, uh, Grit by Angela Duckworth? And I'm like, no, I haven't. Gosh, I wish I had. Um, maybe my book would be better if I read her book. But she <laughs> says the number one predictor in success is grit. It's not talent. Mm -hmm. It's not money. It's not privilege. It's grit. And I think that we can absolutely train our minds to focus on the good. And look, I am not, I'm not the most positive person. I have moments of doubt. I have moments of fear. I have moments where I'm sitting here in this office and I'm like, oh my gosh, why did they ask me to speak at this event? Am I going to be, am I good enough? Like, am I, what, you know, and I have to get back to Amberly. What are you focusing on? And I think that successful people, resilient people choose very carefully what they put their focus on. And, you know, I just experienced this with my dad yesterday. I went to go see him. And that's one of the 
the thing, the good things about living here in Texas is I can go see my family. And I'm like, dad, we got to get you out of the house. You got to, yeah. you got to walk. And he's so focused on, well, I can't walk. I can't really move my ankle much and I can barely feel the, my foot. And, you know, and I'm like, dad, like, I get it. Like, no, I really get it. Like, look, this is all I can move my ankle. And I can't grip my toes either. My toes are made of metal. They don't move. And yeah. And oh, on top of that, I have pain, but I don't focus on that. I focus on what I can do. And I'm not saying to not acknowledge the pain or not acknowledge the hard things. Yes, acknowledge it. And you can have a pity party. And let me tell you, when I was having a freak out, I mean, I understood in that moment why people pick up their computers and like throw them across the room because yeah. when I didn't have internet I was freaking out I had a full-on meltdown over wi-fi I mean that <laughs> I felt like afterwards after I've been there cry yeah and I I mean sobbed like yeah. freaked out I think I really scared my husband um <laughs> the next day I woke up and I was able to like let it go and go Amberly yeah. okay what are you focus on? It's so important to focus on what you can control and not on what you can't. Like, let it go. And I think one of the things that has really helped me with that was something that I used to be so embarrassed of and shame shameful about was, you know, after dealing with so many surgeries and the pain and trying so many different procedures to get out of pain and nothing was working. I started drinking every day to try to stuff down the pain. And um, I got sober in 2016 and being sober and, and going to therapy and going to, you know, 12 step uh, through a 12 step program and, and having that community of women and going to church. I mean, even when I moved here, the first things I did, I was like, I need to find my recovery community. I need to find a barn for my daughter. She needs to be around her equestrian horse crazy girlfriends. And I need to find a church. So I had all those things set up before we even moved here. Um, and if there's one thing that like, if, if you're listening, the, the most important thing, this is the lesson that was the most important is don't do it alone. I was so alone in my pain. I felt like nobody was going to understand me. Nobody knew what I was going through. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody would get how it felt to lose my identity, to, to yeah. not be that fitness girl, to feel ugly, to look ugly, to look at myself as disgusting and broken and have this pain. Nobody's going to understand. And um, guess what? Somebody always gets it. Somebody is always going through something, if not the same, something very similar. And I think that once you get and take radical acceptance, like really accept where you are on your journey, which was hard for me. I was in denial. I did not want to accept a nerve disease. I didn't want to accept the way that I looked. When I did is when my life changed. When we're in acceptance, it puts us in the driver's seat of our life. We can take the reins. We can go, okay, you know what? I've got the power to make decisions. We have power within us. Every one of us, we have power. It's within us. And when we realize that, it's like, wow, we realize, oh, I could, I don't have to, that doctor told me that, and, and look, I had some amazing doctors. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. 
That doctor told me I'd never walk. Well, he just doesn't know me. He doesn't know my vision. You know, and that's something I've been trying to tell my dad. Dad, I just played in a softball tournament. The guy next to me was a double amputee. He can't feel his toes. He doesn't have any toes. He's on the, the field running. He goes, well, how did he do it? I said, Dad, just like I learned to walk again, one step at a time, but you got to be willing to try. Mm-hmm. There's so much about the overwhelming nature of thinking I have to go from will I ever walk again to running out onto a field in cowboy boots or not. And isn't it interesting that we look at this huge, we look at the whole field, but we look at the entire stadium. We look at the nosebleed sections. We look at the billboard. We look at the bright lights and the jumbotron. And we just see this massive monstrosity of a playing space. And this guy you're talking about just literally looked down and said, I am not going to look any further than from the dugout taking the first step on that first stair. I'm not looking, I'm not even looking to first base yet. I am looking to get out of this dugout. And I just think that's so much easier said than done when it can feel like everything is wrong. Everything's too much. Like everything's so big. And and I think what what is you said so much in that last kind of piece, but from radical acceptance to accepting kind of the hand you've been dealt to the importance of not having to go at it alone, the importance of finding that community, engineering those moments of connectivity when they're not going to present themselves. I mean, what I heard you say that I thought was really important to call out for our listeners is you said, I thought ahead about my community, my, my team of social sober women who are going to help me stay on my mission. I thought about my daughter with the equestrian and the barn and making sure she has another outlet besides just me and dad and, you know, whoever. You really, it didn't, it wasn't like you just showed up at Texas and you were like, well, I'm going to click my cowboy boots together and just hope that I find my friends. I'm just going to just pray I meet some Yeah. Because, but- you know, you, you had that intentionality around it. And I think the intentionality and the bravery to say like, yeah, this is hard and this is lonely, but I'm going to be brave and bold enough to not only think it through. I, I'm not just going to intentionalize it. I'm going to take action. I'm going to walk these boots to that conversation with those women. I'm going to walk to that barn. I'm going to sign up. Like that that radical acceptance, yes, but also radical action. It is so it is so much about action. And you know, I I will say it it was hard for me at first. I mean, look, I I remember um telling someone who had CRP was diagnosed with CRPS like me. And I said, "Why well, I, I feel blessed I had an amazing community of people." And she goes, "Well, you're lucky. And I said, no, your hard work puts you where your blessings can find you. You see, my community were my clients, my family, and I had for years built this community by being of service to them, by showing up for them. Some of them I had, you know, and I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back, but some of them I had changed their life. They had grown their confidence. Some of them had lost 75 pounds with me or more. Um, And so when it came time when I was down and out, guess what? They showed up. They showed up for me. What a blessing. They brought me, you know, food and, and 
healthy stuff, flowers, journals, even a candle to the hospital, which I got in trouble for lighting. <laughs> yes, you're not supposed to do that when there's oxygen around. But, you know, <laughs> but yes, it, it was it actually hard for me when I was at my lowest point struggling because it was when I got out of the hospital and I started drinking every day to try to cope with the pain because I was kind of living this double life of trying to hold it all together and pretend like I got this. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to grit it out. Mm -hmm. And on the inside, I was just dying of pain of every kind of pain, emotional, physical shame was heavy. Mm. And I remember having a drink and thinking, oh, why didn't the doctors just tell me to have a glass of wine to like numb out this pain a little bit? And I think that's what a lot of us do when we have any kind of pain. It's like, yeah. well, let me knock back a glass of wine. Let me numb out by just scrolling on social media. Let me go on Netflix and binge so I don't have to think about what's really going on over here. Mm -hmm. Or let me just shop or let me just speed date or whatever it is, e overeating, whatever it is to try to numb out. We heal what we reveal. And I had to get into deep acceptance for a, where I was on my journey and realize I had a problem. And Aaron, I remember thinking, oh my God, how did a good girl like me, a fitness girl, successful girl, end up like this where I am drinking every day to try to just numb out this pain? And I went to my husband and I was like, I think I got a problem. He goes, no, 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 no. You know, him being a cop you don't have a problem. Like basically I arrest people that have problems with alcohol. Mm. My wife does not have a problem. Mm. I said, yeah, I think I need to go to, you know, some kind of 12 step or something like that. He goes, no, no, no. You don't want to be around those people. I knew deep down, mm. I knew deep down that I needed help. And I asked for help from, it took a lot of courage. It took every ounce of courage that I had in me, in my bones to ask for help. But it was a point where I was like, if I don't get help, I think I might die. I, I can't believe I've survived this horrific accident. I've survived all these surgeries to literally be killing myself with alcohol every day. And I reached out to a former client of mine that I knew was sober. So yeah, yeah, I'll take you to a meeting. A week went by, never heard back. And I was like, I need to go now. And so I Googled it. I was like, I Googled recovery, 12 step. And I found a meeting where I could go where my husband would be at work and my daughter would be in school. And I went from sneaking my drinking to sneaking going to meetings. Interesting. And I, cause I didn't, you know, I knew my husband had a lot of shame about it. He's, he's come around now. <laughs> he realizes, oh, I guess she's going to stick with this sober thing. And, um, and it's been a journey, but asking for help changed my life. And now I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask for help. I'm not afraid to look stupid or I know I don't know it all. I know I don't have it all figured out. You know, I remember when I decided to write my book and I just want to share this with people going through a situation where you might be struggling and you might be unfulfilled or wanting to go after that your purpose or your passion or, or quit your job and go after something else. Let me tell you, I didn't even own a computer five years ago. Well, it's almost six years. Five years ago, I didn't own a computer. I did not even know how to attach a picture to an email. I, I knew nothing. 
I knew I wanted to write a book. And I remember, you know, going to the, I went to the Apple store, I bought myself a laptop and I took a class, hand wrote 90% of my book on a notepad. And I was raising my hand, asking for help every five seconds. And the instructor stopped that he said, I just have to say, you know, we have never had anybody take a class here that raises their hand so much or wasn't, isn't embarrassed to ask questions. And I said, well, I'm not embarrassed. I know I, I need to do, I need to learn this because I had a vision. So I didn't care how stupid I looked or like, oh gosh, she doesn't know how to do that. I, I kept my eye on the vision and, and and back to looking at going from not being able to walk again to this big field, this big arena. If I would have, you know, thought about running marathons again when I was bed bound, covered in bed sores, I probably would have never been able to get out of that bed. It would have been too big, too overwhelming. If I would have thought about writing an entire book and learning how to use a computer and finding a publisher and marketing and all that kind of stuff. I never would have started to write the book. So I focused on one step at a time. I focused on one page at a time. So you just have to start. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to start and you have to keep your eye on the prize and, and celebrate your small victories along the way. Oh, it's so well said. You know, you seem like the kind of person who has had a natural ability to sort of vision cast. Right. Like you said, when you're 18 years old, you're like, I'm going to be a dancer. You know, you went to L.A., you packed up, you went west in search of your dream. You, you know, you had your eye on the prize with the minute they said one percent chance. You're like, well, my mission is very clear. I'm doing this. You know, the minute that you decided, wow, I've survived all of these these incredibly traumatic, deadly moments. And now I'm actually killing myself by drinking poison in my body. I'm going to go get help even without the support of your husband, which, by the way, I cannot imagine how hard that must have been to have your absolute best friend, your partner who loves you but just didn't want to see you in a certain way. Like you're already mm -hmm. judging yourself and now you're processing this external judgment from someone whose opinion means the most to you. Mm -hmm. That's even more impressive that you were able to kind of put those earmuffs on from that moment and say, like, I love you, but I can't listen to you right now because this is life and death. Like my life's on the line, so... Later, you'll thank me kind of a thing, which is amazing. You know, you're the kind of person who said, you know, I'm an athlete. I'm going to chase this down. I'm going to write a book. I am going to write a book. Like, so I feel like you have this, a lot of superpowers, obviously. But one of your superpowers that I would love to just bottle up is this ability to, I think you called it, um, doing the work on your inner world, right? So, so when you're creating your visions, when you're deciding, like, it's going to be the book, or I'm going to wear the shorts and do the fun dance at the keynote. You know, I'm going to wear the, the fun cowboy boots and do the softball thing. Like you, you're so clear about like what's going to bring you joy and what's going to make you feel like you're really experiencing the heck out of the moments. What do you think that people get wrong when it comes to deciding what it is they want? I mean, what what is it the book? Is it the dancing? You know, is it the... I'm going to focus on the 1% chance. Like, how? what do you think we don't do as well as we could when it comes to, like, even just casting that vision? And, and It's distractions. It's distractions. It's yeah. too much. It's too many distractions. It's, it's, 
I think too much of not getting to know yourself, not getting to know your inner wants and your needs. And it's easy to do. I get it, man. I can totally get on Instagram and be like, oh, and then I start getting in the comparison game as, oh, look at that big keynote she did. How come I wasn't invited to that event? Oh, I'm just not good enough. Like I, I can totally go there. And I think that what helps me with it is I am very disciplined when it comes to like uh, my non-negotiables in my morning routine. And, you know, I had, I had a, a friend of mine make fun of me because I pack books with me when I go. Everywhere I go, I take actual books because every morning I, I work on my spiritual practice. This morning I was on my knees praying. It's just, you know, it's <laughs> I'm emotional because you know what? I think when I feel good with someone at home and that's how I feel with you I can just be myself but you know I think it's getting having that time to pray and to journal and to to read and you know I had somebody make fun of me because I read out of these books and I'm like that's what helps me stay grounded. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. think it's really important to figure out like what helps you stay grounded in who and who you are. And the thing is, is, you know, we all, we all have these superpowers. We all have um, something that we're good at, that we're special at, that we're with. And, and, and the thing is, we you you really do know it. I'm not you listening right now. You you know this. You know that you're really good at something. It's there. You might take it for granted because it may come easy to you. Um, but it's special, and we're all different. And we have the ability to share that superpower with other people. And I think it's really taking time to do whatever your morning routine looks like for you. For me, it's prayer. It's gratitude. Gratitude to me is alchemy. It really shifts what we don't have in, into what we do have and what we can't do into what we can do. And it really gets me focused on what's important in life. And so um, accountability is super important. You know, I have a, a group of friends we call ourselves the god squad and every morning um we use an app and we write out 10 things that we're grateful for and i know it's hard on days where you're struggling to, oh what am i grateful for today but i i promise there's always something to be grateful for even when i was stuck in a hospital bed you know at the hospital stuck in a hospital bed there was always something to be grateful for you know i remember being grateful for the nurses, being grateful that I couldn't go outside, but I could see outside, being grateful for, for the, the ability to breathe. You know, I told my dad yesterday, he, he was complaining and complaining. I said, Dad, I said, be grateful you've got your mind. You're sharp as a whip. I said, now focus on what you can do. Make a list of the things that you absolutely can't that will hire somebody 
to help you or that I can help you with, but what can you do? I said, well, I can't really drive. I said, dad, I couldn't drive either. I said, I, I said, I couldn't even have my leg down. I couldn't move my right leg. I said, so the, 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 I got home from the hospital in July and my husband's birthday was August 15th back in 2010. And the physical therapist came to the house to work with me. And I said, look, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to take me to an empty parking lot. Can you drive me to an empty parking lot? She goes, why? Why would you want to go to an empty parking lot? I said, (laughs) I need to learn how to drive with my left foot because I need to be able to drive to go get my husband a birthday present. So again, I had a goal. I had a vision of I am going to be able to drive. I'm going to be able to go get him a present and surprise him on his birthday. It was setting those small goals. And I learned to drive my truck with my right leg up on the dashboard, my left hand on up because my left arm was broken. And with my left, so I would drive with my right leg up, my left arm broken and this. So it was like, whoo, you better look out for that F-250 driving approach. <laughs> Crazy lady. She might I hope there's a picture off. of that somewhere. <laughs> we need to get a picture for that. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. You know, but well, taking that time for yourself every day to, to get mm-hmm. to know your wants and your needs and your vision, not what other people want for you, yeah. not what you see on social media, somebody's highlight reel. Stop comparing yourself. It's the thief of joy. Get to know what yeah. you want, yeah. what your vision is for you, and then Take action to make that happen every day. Go be of service. Go ask people how they're doing. Be kind. Take action every day. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was just going to say, so there's much. no, there's no, no other superpower greater than just accepting who you are and being who you are. And I think that we all have a superpower and that ability to be super. I agree, and I think. You know, the term "being who we are" for me, that's like a very loaded term. Because who I was in 2020 is not who I am in 2022, like, at all. And I don't know about you, but I feel like with all the hands we've been dealt the last couple of years, it's there's almost this mourning for, like, who I was. Like, sometimes I feel like, gosh, I wish I could be, like, old Aaron. You know, I wish I could be, like, more carefree before the before times, whether it's before the pandemic, before your accident. Before, you know, my trauma I went through with my, you know, with my my puppy and my stuff with my parents. And it's like, I feel like we all sort of have this like grass is greener version of us from the before times, before that defining moment that changed us so deeply. Mm-hmm. And I think what's what's interesting is like that radical acceptance. And I love the word grace, that it really does take to accept that we are this new, beautiful version of us. And no, it's not 35-year-old Aaron or like happy-go-lucky Aaron, but now it's this deeper, richer version of us because our pain, like you said so beautifully, really is our biggest teacher. And so what have we learned? Can we can we really look in the mirror and be like, gosh, I'm not the same gal I was, but I'm this beautiful, new, becoming version, this vibrant version that I'm I'm just meeting. And and mm-hmm. And how can we kind of cast off what was and really just like hug the shit out of what is becoming. And I think that's really hard to do sometimes. And, you know, I'm emotional talking to you too. I'm feeling the same connection that, that you're feeling. And part of what really resonated with me with what you were saying earlier is sort of this idea of like our inputs and our outputs. Like, 
you know, the outputs of how we feel about who we are and who we're becoming and where we're headed in our 50th year, in our 40th year, in our post-pandemic venture, in our whatever, I think that it sometimes you forget who the hell you are and you do need people to help yeah. unearth that and like remind you like, I'm Amberly friggin' Lago. Like, I'm Amberly friggin' King. Like, that's but right. You, like, forget, right? And so, whether it's like you're stomping in your boots, like, I rock my sneakers. Sometimes it's a physical wearing to remind us of who we are. But sometimes it's, it's combating those inputs and outputs. So, when you were talking about like your dad saying, like, well, I can't, I can't drive or I can't do this, you know, or even your husband, God love him, you know, who was just kind of like, wow, I never thought of Amberly like in this in this bucket and I, and I'm a dude and I see things in black and white and like, there's, there's the good guys and the bad guys and this behavior that she's really brave to come forward about is kind of like in the bad guy bucket. And I don't know how I Mm -hmm. feel about that. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so, and then you had, you know, growing up with the kids that were bullying you, like you brought that childhood nickname up in one second, you know, and, and I had the exact same experience. And I think about, you know, my dad with, you know, battling his illness right now, it's the same thing of like trying to cheer him through his mindset, right? And like with my husband, he went through a bit of a depressive period from a, a, for a bunch of fiscal loss. So how do I kind of like cheer him on? And how do I bury that mean girl from the past, from the bullying? Just like you, like literally every point you said, I'm like nodding my head off my neck. And what's interesting is like, we have to be so careful because as we are cheering on everyone around us and making those deposits, where are we pulling that from? Like this cup Mm -hmm. has to be filled somewhere. And what I love that I think anyone listening who's like, okay, yeah, I'm cheering everyone on, but like who's cheering me on, right? And I think that the two things you said were, you know, you got your sober sisters and your God squad. Mm -hmm. And that morning moment, that, that 10 gratitude, that journal, like you just got so emotional because part of you, I mean, what I was vibing off of is like, Thank the Lord for the God squad. Thank the Lord for that precious time in the moment of the morning to set that tone. And so, you know, let's let's be more intentional about making sure that just as much as we are cheering everyone on around us, that we find the source of what we need Mm -hmm. to be able to cape up and show up. Because that was a huge reminder for me anyway, that I'm like, gosh, I need to spend more time on my God squad and my sober sisters and my version of whatever that that input is because you know you can feel the difference when you're running on fumes and when you're running uh-huh. on, on, on real fire you know and and fumes and fire are not the same thing and so I just applaud you for that intentionality and that reminder for all of us listening like guys go find your God squad go find your sober sisters go find a buddy from the internet from Instagram who fills up your cup in a conversation like we're having today Find mm-hmm. it. Go seek it out. It's not going to find you. Like, you got to go get it. And that's, I think, just a, a beautiful takeaway for for me anyway today. Well, thank you. And you know what? I have to remind yeah. myself of that, too, and and get back to basics when I feel like I'm, oh, gosh, I'm running on fumes. I am do, I'm burning the wick from both ends. I, this is not headed anywhere good. I, this is, might sound crazy, but I really have to get back to basics. Like, Am I sleeping seven to eight hours a night? Am I working out every day? For me, moving my body is a non-negotiable. I have to do something every day. I have to move my body. 
not because I'm like, I'm that fitness girl and I want to look yeah. good and have muscles. Yeah, I want to, I want to look good. I want to have muscles, but no, I do it because it moves my mood Yeah, and I do it for me. That's me time. And you know, what's so rewarding is so my daughter who's 14 now, she used to go, oh, mom, you're going to the gym. Like, I just want you to play with me. And I'm like, no, if you want a nice mommy, I need to go work out. Like that's, <laughs> that's my time. I got to work yeah. out. Well, guess what? Now she loves to work out with me, she goes to the gym with me. So, you know, as, as parents, you know, we sometimes think, oh, I, I don't have time. I don't want to, I got to take care of the kids or I don't have time for my dreams. I'm taking care of everybody else. And it's like, no, you make time and then it makes you a better parent. But it also is the ripple effect of how your kids start to make time to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And to me, I love that my daughter wants to go to the gym with me and work out. And, you know, I still sometimes get hard. It sometimes it, it helps when we have somebody remind us of certain things. Mm -hmm. And there was the other day, you know, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, my daughter was like, mom, I want you to, can you run with me? I want you to go for a run with me. And I, can run if somebody's chasing me, but it's <laughs> running on a bunch of like, <laughs> it's not good. It really hurts. So I don't run like I used to. And, um, I learned the hard way. I would just try and try and try. And it's like, Oh, that's not working out. That's like insane. And so I told my husband, I was like, you know, I'm so sad. I can't run anymore. Can't run with my daughter. He goes, go ride your bike alongside her. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good thing. There's always yeah. another way. We'll figure out a different way. And sometimes I, it helps I, when we have somebody remind us of that. Well, if you can't run, just let her run. You can still yeah. be with her. Just ride your bike. Just like well, playing in the arena. Couldn't wear tennis shoes. Go get my boots. I love it. What is what is the the non-intuitive solution like what is the what is like plan like f like what is like the other thing that we're not seeing i love that so much and you know it's interesting when you talk about this because if someone's listening like oh well my husband doesn't really like think outside the box like that or you know i don't really have sort of what you guys are talking about i will tell you something when it comes to being inspired we talked a lot in this conversation about instagram and the dark scroll hole of you know just mm -hmm. the endless comparison game and I always talk about in my keynotes this idea of like bless and block, right? Like if someone is showing up in your newsfeed, stealing your vibe, bringing you down, making you feel less than, not that you want to have a whole newsfeed of everyone just retweeting what you believe to be true. We have to, we have to switch it up and get a variety of opinions for sure. But there are certain individuals that you're telling yourself you're following for inspiration, motivation, but really it's, it's not the most positive input that you could have. And so I love a good bless and block. It's like no harm to them, like unfollow, but then find and replace. And you were one of the people that I found on Instagram like two years ago where I had bless and blocked this fitness gal who I don't know why. It just she made me feel less than like I just did not feel good about myself. Whatever was her tone, her vibe it just wasn't my vibe. I didn't have to analyze it. I didn't have to feel like, oh, this is so high school that I'm feeling like this. Like you don't have to judge it. You don't have to figure it out. You just know the feeling to be true. Mm -hmm. So I broke up with her on the internet. She didn't care. She didn't know. That's the whole beauty of it, right? But then I found your account and I started following you. And it's so wild to think that being on Instagram, you know, 
we we look at the numbers like there's like likes and shares and all this vanity metric crap but like the impact that you have with your content like this morning I knew I was interviewing you and I had been on the road the last four days I did three keynotes in three days in three cities and again Mm -hmm. so thankful so grateful high class problems like would have killed for this you know five years ago me 18 months ago me like this is what I want right but this morning I was like I just want to like sit on the couch and ease into the day, get ready for my thing with Amberly. But I'm just like you. I'm just like most people. Got to move the bod to get the brain cells going. And I literally went on your Instagram and I saw all of your incredibly motivating content. And I was like, you get your ass into some sneakers and up that hill before this podcast interview. And I was like running up this hill like, Amberly can do this. And she was in an accident. You can do this. And it's just amazing because whether it's, you know, your daughter watching you work out or us watching you on Instagram or whoever you're watching that gives you that little jolt. Like we all need to have those intentional influences in our life saying, you got this, less excuses, suck it up, buttercup. Manifestation is great, but let's take some damn action. Amen. And I love that about you. So there's you no that. quit in grit. That's right. I love it. Amberly, <laughs> I'm so thankful for just, I mean, all of your, your stories. I, I, you are just, a lot of people preach it, you know, and, but you, you know, pun intended, you are walking the dang walk. So I'm, I'm thankful for your heart and your authenticity today and your really solid strategies. And you're, you're, you're all about action. Uh-huh. You're not just about. I love you. You know, you're not just about this happened to me and this is my mindset, but you're like, these are the steps I literally took and you can too. So I, I hope that everyone listening today just takes that away, follows you on Instagram, um, mm. checks out your mastermind. Your mastermind looks incredible. Um, so go to Amberly's Instagram, definitely pick up True Grace and Grit, her book, follow her podcast and get ready to be working out on the mornings you do not want to because this gal will motivate you. <laughs> Watch out when you follow her because it's it's real. <laughs> Thank oh my gosh. Thank you. Thanks, Amberly. We'll talk to you soon, babe. Take care. Thank you so much for investing your heart, your mind, of course, your time with me here today. And it is my deepest hope that you have gleaned at least a few new nuggets on how to better live a life that you love on your terms. You can subscribe to see all of my weekly episodes and If you have time, you can send a screenshot of your review of the podcast to onyourterms at erinking.com and you'll be sent a free access pass to my Digital Persuasion Masterclass, where you'll learn how to attract attention, increase your influence, and sell smarter from behind the screen. I hope that you'll join me next week for another episode of On Your Terms. And until then, let's connect on Instagram at mrs.aaron.king. Till next time, friends.